Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Bletis. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Today we are talking to Dr. Laura Fraser, Chief Scientist of Taiki USA, and Dr. Megan Cotis, R&D Manager at the Stellenbosch Nanofiber Company. Taiki USA is a global leader in skincare and makeup tools. Stellenbosch Nanofiber Company, also known as SNC, has been developing nanofiber-based products including advanced wound dressings, tissue engineering scaffolds, and cosmetic products. Megan received her PhD in chemistry at the Rose University in South Africa. Laura has received a PhD in chemistry at the University of Akron in the USA and have worked as a director at the SNS Nanofab Technology Company, an assistant professor of chemistry at Bologna University, a program leader at Owens Corning, and now as chief scientist at Taiki USA. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know what you think about this conversation with these two incredible women of science uh, down in the comments below. And also remember to subscribe if you haven't already. You can also remember to share this episode to anybody else that you know will be interested in polymer science and just chemistry in general. Thank you for listening. Have a lovely day. So welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast, Megan and Laura. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you for making time <laughs> to get onto my episode here and talk to me about the companies that you're working for and the, the amazing products that you are developing. Um, so firstly, just, just jump right into it. Megan and Laura, I usually always start off by asking people, how did I get into this field? How did you get into chemistry and electric spinning and working in the nanofiber material field. So I've always been interested in science. Um, I was you know, in the science club in eighth grade. And when I got into college, uh, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew it was something in the sciences. So I started out in biology, uh, then ended up adding a chemistry major. Um, I remember my organic chemistry professor telling me that the future was going to be all about polymers. Um, so I, I you know, saved that little nugget of information. And then later on, when I was debating what to do after undergraduate school, I decided that you know, chemistry seemed like the best option just from the standpoint of having a lot of variety of jobs available. Um, also, you know, I, I had really kind of taken to chemistry in terms of the, you know, the approach with it being more logical and more math-based than, than biology was in a way. So I decided to attend the University of Akron, and when I was interviewing different advisors, um, you know, Dr. Smith was doing things with the, the electrospun nanofibers, and I just found it so fascinating that I would actually get to make something, um, not just you know investigate the active site of a protein or something. You know, I wasn't I, I was I was creating something, and, and that's something I really enjoyed doing. So I decided to join his group. And he was uh, collaborating with Daryl Renniker over in the Polymer Science Institute, and they were working on you know, putting different things into the nanofibers. And so I, my project that I did for my dissertation was on superabsorbance and polyurethane nanofibers. And there was a, a German company that would come visit the university uh, every quarter to see what was new. And, and when they were there during a visit, they saw the nanofibers with the superabsorbent and were interested in, in potentially developing a product using that. So 
they started having me make them samples. And um, when I graduated, they were, had decided to license the patents from the university and start a company. And so they started SNS Nanofiber, and I was the, the first and only employee for about 10 months. And then I spent the next uh, 11 or so years working for SNS and looking into nanofiber applications in a variety of industries from medical to filtration to cosmetic and personal care, uh, along with some other niche applications. And it was great because I got to go to a lot of different conferences um, and experience different industries, mostly in, in the U.S. and Europe. Um, but I got to, to basically tell everybody about the amazing potential of, of nanofibers. Yeah, for me, um, I was also always interested in science, to be honest, and it was something that my parents, and in particular my dad, encouraged. Um, he said if I could do anything I want, but you know, I should just, you know, especially encourage the science route. <laughs> um, I had great teachers at school, which was also really helpful, obviously. Um, and I knew I wanted to do uh, a BSc when I started um, at Rhodes. I, at the, in the beginning, I thought I would want to do something in marine biology, um, but the first dissection of a frog really put me off. <laughs> so I, I ended up taking chemistry for the first year, and then the second year, and then the third year, and just enjoying it more and more. Um, and I had a lecturer, Professor Tabela Kong, who I found particularly inspiring as a scientist and just a person in general. And I was fortunate enough to get a position in her research group. And so she was my supervisor, and although my PhD was in electrochemistry, our group was within the Nanotechnology Innovation Center in the chemistry department at Rhodes. So there were a number of the other students who did their projects on electrospinning and electrospun fibers. So I had some idea, um, many presentations, <laughs> of uh, the technology behind electrospinning, specifically needle electrospinning and a little bit of an idea of what kind of applications uh, that nanofibers could be used for. When I finished studying my PhD, I was looking for a job in industry, and my prof sent me the job adverts that SNC released looking for a new scientist to join the team. I was really excited about the prospect of doing really novel and innovative research and product development, so like Laura said, actually making things. So, um, and I was jumped at the opportunity and was fortunate enough to get the job. And yeah, I've uh, been here right. ever since. So starting as a scientist and now as the R&D manager. And yeah, I consider myself a true convert to the wonders of electrospinning and electrospun fibers. That's wonderful. And I always love to ask that question because it's never a straightforward road. <laughs> like people don't know exactly what they're going to do the moment they decide which uh, direction they're choosing for their um, like undergrad. So it's very, very interesting. Um, then I also would like to know, Megan, uh, the SNC has really boosted research during the height of the pandemic, focusing on developing reusable nanofiber-based masks that would meet the medical device requirements according to the European standards. Um, I wanted to know if you can tell me just a little bit uh, briefly about this project and uh, what went into the process of developing these surgical masks. Yeah, it was, a, it was an, an incredible, um, a difficult and incredible time at the same time. So it was a huge project and there, there are a huge number of people and different groups involved in making that happen. So um, rather than leaving anyone out, I'm going to just keep a very brief <laughs> overview of the highlights. Um, so basically, when we realized that lockdown wasn't going to last just three weeks and COVID wasn't just going to go away, 
Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we had a look at um, you know what I consider to be the fundamental first application of nanofibers, which is infiltration. So uh, we did some research into um, what kind of work had been done on nanofibers, specifically where it comes to surgical masks, because we, like many others, were suffering difficulties with the PPE shortages that were going on globally. So it was becoming increasingly difficult to get in various types of PPE, including surgical masks, which we use for our manufacturing, and becoming increasingly expensive as well. So we had a look at how, what can we do to help there using nanofibers. So digging a little bit into the research, the, the real difference between nanofiber filtration versus the conventional sort of blue fabric masks is they work on electrostatic filtration, so the fibers are electrostatically charged and they, they trap, attract and trap particles. Whereas, um, and so by that method, when they lose electrostatic charge, they stop being such good filters. So that happens oh, yeah. just with exposure to, you know, the humidity of the environment, your breath, and that, that's why they are single use. For nanofibers, because it's a physical filter, you're physically trapping particles, we were able to validate that we could uh, disinfect the filters with boiling water at the end of every day and maintain filtration efficiency for 10 days. So um, it was important to us as well. Uh, we have various ISO standards to make sure that we were following global and local regulations. So we made sure that our filtration efficiency and breathing resistance of the filters was compliant with European standards. And yeah, in, in a nutshell, went from initial literature-based research to full-scale manufacture of the nanofiber filters as inserts for fabric masks within 100 days. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> wow. Um, and then I also wanted to know, what other types of products have you developed uh, using nanofibers at the SNC? And what were these products mostly used for? So we've made, we've done all sorts of various uh, projects over the years. And uh, at the moment, our focus is really on cosmetics. So we've been making really interesting cosmetic different cosmetic products, which I think Laura and I will say, say a little bit more about a little bit later. But when SNC started, we focused on medical products. So two of the re medical products that we've made that we're, we're really proud of, um, the one is we, we make scaffolds for the National Eye Institute of the NIH in the US. So Dr. Kapil Bharti's group are doing incredible work. Um, so we supply the scaffolds and they, they seed them with retinal pigment epithelial cells and these get implanted in the human eye with people who are suffering various you know, eye degeneration or macular degenerative diseases. And that's currently in phase one human clinical trials. That's a very long running project and running for over eight years. <laughs> it takes yeah, a long I time can't to get to market. Um, and then the other is for a local company, so Southern Medical, Medica, Medica SA, we make a second degree burn wound dressing, which they market as Nanotrix. And in that case, we're, we're really relying on the, the benefits of nanofibers as well. So for the eye, the eye scaffold, we look at polymers that have a certain degradation rate. So they must maintain their structure for a certain time while the cells are growing, but then degrade once they've been implanted in the eye. For the burn wound dressings, um, unlike normal dressings, I mean, burns are an incredibly traumatic injury to have and very painful. So with dressing changes, it causes the patient more trauma, the wound more trauma. Um, but the nanofibers, once you have a, a clean and debrided wound and you apply the wound dressing, the structure of the nanofibers allows the wound to breathe, so gas and moisture exchange, but still protected from bacteria and viruses. So that dressing can actually remain on the wound during the healing process 
and and not be um, you know changed as often as oh, regular wow. dressings. That is very important, actually. Yeah. Um, then just the last bit of question for you, Megan. Um, the, can you tell me like what is the common challenges regarding electric spinning when you're trying to develop some new material? I think we both have a bit of an answer for this one. Yeah, I would actually like to hear what Laura has to say. From a, I guess you want to do more of the technical stuff. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, you know, one of the things that when you're in the lab, you know, you can use any polymer that you can find with whatever solvent is on the shelf, you know, and try and electrospin it, right? And so one of the challenges when you're scaling up is you can't just be that free about your polymer choice anymore, you know, because first of all, you have to have a polymer that is commercially available, because um, there are a lot of interesting polymers out there, but if somebody's not making them at the scale that you need them, they're not going to be useful. Uh, and then also the quality is, you know, is important. You know, our, you know, the molecular weight range, as you know, if you mm. change the molecular weight too much, that changes your concentration that you need to spin at, and you can't have that many formulation changes when you're when you're doing it on a commercial scale. Uh, and then also just looking at it from a sustainability point of view, you know, where what source is of the, for the polymer? Is it a fossil fuel source or is it a fermentation reaction? You know, how how is that polymer made? Uh, and then the end of life, you know, what happens to the polymer? Is it, is it a water-soluble uh, or is it biodegradable? And so taking all of those things into consideration because, you know, especially depending on what industry you're going into and what type of product you're developing, you really have to, to make sure that in the beginning you're choosing the appropriate polymer before you get too far down the development path and find out that, you know, you, you didn't take all of those things into consideration and now you have to, you know, kind of start back at square one. So... Yeah, the first challenge is really just, you know, picking the right polymer. Um, and in addition to the technical challenges, the challenges we face just with the fact that we're making things that are completely different from what people are used to using. So we need to make sure that what we make is fit for purpose. So we need to take into account who's going to be using them, how, how is it going to be used. So that really is that, you know, getting people to adopt new technology is difficult, no matter what industry you're in. So whether we're making medical products or cosmetic products, our stuff looks a bit different, behaves a bit different to what people <laughs> do, and, and that is honestly, it is a challenge. Yeah, no, that is true. And also you need to, like you said, consider when you're doing the development, people are also interested in, every time there's something new that needs to be trending, like recyclability, reusability, all that types of things needs to be taken into account as well and all that. But yeah, thank you for that answer. It really makes a lot of sense. Um, then I just wanted to get to Laura. So SNC has developed a nanofiber, co a nanofiber cosmetic product along with Taiki USA, which was selected by Time magazine as one of the 100 best inventions of 2019. So SNC has been working with Taiki USA to bring Atus Phantom cleansing silks to the market. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Artiste, there's, there's an R in there. Uh, Artiste, okay, <laughs> my bad. So, Laura, how did this collaboration start between you? So, actually, it was you know, Jim Perry, who's the CEO of Taiki USA, um, and Eugene Smith, who's the CEO of Stellenbosch Nanofiber Company. They found each other on LinkedIn um, and you know, started discussing potential collaboration. And with Jim's decade of, decades of experience in the sales and marketing of cosmetic products and skincare products, and then you know, Eugene having, you know, years of experience with, with electrospinning and nanofibers, uh, they just recognized that this could be a very interesting uh, partnership and decided to 
to form a joint development company called BBI or Boshi Beauty Incorporated. And so they, that company is then going to be focusing on cosmetic applications of nanofibers, um, including the, the artiste um, cleansing skills. So um, can you tell me a bit more about the, these cleansing silks um, and how they were developed and what they do? So um, it's actually, it's, it's a very interesting story. So we had looked at cosmetics, nanofibers for cosmetics, some years before we, we spoke to Taiki, but it was very difficult to imagine how do you apply what is, I mean, nanofibers, we get sheets. Like, how, how does that work in cosmetics, a realm which is lotions and sprays and creams? So um, it was really the rise of the popularity in Korean skincare and Korean beauty and sheet masks that um, made us realize that there is a space for nanofiber technology, especially with the, all the research that's been done in, in drug delivery, looking at active delivery, so active delivery for the skin. Uh, so for the cleansing silks, Eugene, our CEO, he did some research into um, he was looking into cosmetics in general and he had a look at the Korean, the K-beauty 10-step beauty routine and he bought all of the products and was doing the 10-step beauty routine himself every, every day for, for weeks <laughs> to do that market research to get an idea of what kind of products they are, how, how do they work, how do people interact with them um, to really spark ideas on how to make something new. So uh, he had the idea to combine those first three steps of the Korean skincare routine, which is the oil cleanser, foam cleanse, and then exfoliant. So we electrospun the water-soluble fibers with various actives in them, and they entrap an exfoliant, exfoliant particles, and then it's wetted with an oil cleanser. So when you apply the patch to your skin, the oil cleanser starts to work in lifting off impurities. And when you spray that with water, you dissolve the water-soluble fibers, releasing exfoliant, and in rubbing it, you're creating the foam cleanser and exfoliating, and then you rinse it all. Um, so Taiki USA is a top developer in face masks and patches. Now, I just want to know a bit more about the efficiency of these masks compared to other masks that are on the market at the moment. Can you tell me a bit more about that, Laura? Sure. Um, so it depends a little bit on, on what type of uh, application you're looking for. So if you have, you know, a clay mask that you're looking for removing impurities, you know, that might work very well, or an exfoliating mask. But what really uh, works better with the sheet masks is when you're trying to deliver something to the skin. Because the, the, the mask, the, the sheet will actually form a, a thermal barrier, so it'll trap heat and moisture, which will then help to dilate the blood vessels and improve the penetration of whatever active you have in the, the solution for the face mask. So, you know, really, if you're looking to deliver something to the skin, having a sheet mask is going to be a much better option for you. Yeah, like I also um, experienced that just like in practicality, like the way your pores behave under a mask compared to just a, something that dries on your face <laughs> and then falls off. So you have also been working on waterless fiber-based beauty line called Boshi Beauty, as you've mentioned earlier. How does this waterless delivery of these fiber-based products work? So the, the actual delivery is, is very simple in the user standpoint because you're just wetting your skin and then you're putting on a nanofiber strip that dissolves and delivers to the skin. Um, but to, to get more into why that, that works better... Uh, you know, with a lotion or a cream, you have a high percentage of water. Uh, you also have a lot of other ingredients that are, are there really just to form a stable emulsion. 
So you know, that creamer lotion has to sit on the shelf for at least a couple years and be stable. And so you have rheology modifiers, you have emulsifiers, you, you know, all these different things that aren't actually benefiting the skin in any way necessarily, but they need to be there. Well, with, with the, the nanofiber products, because you've removed the water and because you know, you're making your solution and then electrospinning it that day or the next day, so all of those other ingredients aren't required. So what you end up with is, is a much more concentrated active in your final product because you're, you're removing all of the, the extra ingredients in the water. So for example, you know, when, they, when they formulate with co for cosmetics for a lotion or a cream, they give you a formulation guide and they, the supplier does and tells you for this ingredient, you, know, you should incorporate it at one or 2%. And that's both for the, the efficacy to make sure you have enough so that it's gonna work, but not too much to be irritating, you know, because so it's the appropriate dose. Well, when looking at putting that dose in the nanofibers, we have to take what, what that amount would be in the cream, so how many milligrams per square centimeter of application area, and put that same amount into the nanofibers to make sure we're getting the, the appropriate dose, but because we have all of the other things that aren't there, we end up with, with a more concentrated dose, or more concentrated hmm. in, in the amount in the nanofibers. Yeah. Um, so that ends up, you know, having a, a you know concentration gradient then on your on your skin that, that improves the, the penetration uh, of that yeah. active into the. I think there's a lot of people that don't really understand what a beauty product is or what it has inside in terms of ingredients and when you're using it. Like that's why so many people when they're overusing a product and they're not seeing any. The changes in their skin or they're seeing an adverse effect and then they don't realize that they might actually be doing more harm so uh, your product actually sounds very fascinating because it seems to be much more pure much more um controlled in terms of what you're putting on your face um i've just one more question or oh, two more questions um so why is it important to go waterless with this type of product so when you go waterless, it's not just about taking the water out, uh, which, you know, having no water does allow you to go without a preservative if you prefer because you have a very low water activity. But you also, because you're taking out all of those other ingredients, every one of those ingredients has an environmental footprint. So when, when we talk about waterless beauty, it's not just about the absence of water. You know, be, be, yes, you have no water in the product and therefore... You, know, you have very low water activity, and so if you want, you can go without preservative. But you know, without the water, you have a much lighter product. So shipping is going to be, you know, much less energy required to, to ship the product. And then in addition, all of the ingredients that you've now eliminated from the product, each one of those has an environmental footprint. So whether it's a natural or synthetic ingredient. You know, there was either water or energy used in the growing of that ingredient or the processing and the shipping. And so all of that can be eliminated and you can have a, a much better overall envir environmental footprint for your product by going waterless. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now my final question to both of you, Laura and Megan. I would like to ask both of you, what is next? What are the plans for the future products uh, for your companies? And if you're allowed to share, can you just tell us a bit more about what you have planned? Sure. Well, our, our newest product formats that we're actually both working on because it's part of the, the BBI is what we're calling nanodrops. Oh. So these are essentially uh, the sheets of nanofibers that we've layered on top of each other and then 
pressed and sealed into small little shapes that you can then put in the palm of your hand, add several drops of water to dissolve, and then apply to your skin, usually your face or maybe around your eyes, whatever the application area target is. Um, and because you have these layers, you can now have potentially different actives in different layers that you can combine only when once you wet it out. Or you can also put things in, the, in between the layers, like insoluble, water-insoluble particles. Uh, and so it really opens up the, the options and, and makes a very unique delivery vehicle. Both. Yeah, it's a really our attempt at finding different formats for our fibers. I think, as I mentioned earlier, we really, when we started, we could only visualize you know, masks and patches. But we can make the nanofiber sheets into 3D shapes, as Laura said, by layering. And then that opens up a whole realm of different things we can do. And yeah, so th that's our, our latest uh, product that we're working, product range that we're working on. And really, it's just from my side, just learning more about cosmetics. Because I think, mm -hmm. I think you mentioned earlier, but there's a lot more hard science that goes into developing a cosmetic product than I think many people realize. Yeah. So um, we're going to carry on learning and figure out other ways that we can apply nanofibers in this really huge space. I'm just like completely um, fascinated by the whole the change that is happening with beauty products. It's not just you used to have like normal cream based things that literally had no effect on your skin. It actually made it more dry. And then they started incorporating nanoparticles into facial scrubs. But then they realized that these nanoparticles or nanoparticles, microparticles were not biodegradable. And, um, you know, we're just going down the sink and accumulating as plastic somewhere else. And so they stopped that and they changed the cellulose. And now they're, now we're talking about nano drops and, and things like that, which is, it's just fascinating, actually, how the technology is growing. I really enjoy this conversation so much. <laughs> <laughs> we, we enjoy the conversation very much as well. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for having us. It was, a, it was very good to talk to you, and, and we, love, we love talking about nanofibers. Uh, I think uh, our listeners from the Polymer Science Podcast will really enjoy this, because not all of um, our listeners are scientists or polymer scientists or anything like that. They're just people that enjoy experiencing polymers and learning more about polymers on a day-to-day -day basis and realizing how much of that is around us. <laughs> so thank you so much for opening their eyes a little bit more. And um, I really hope that they'll check out your products and I'll link the websites and everything like that in the show notes. Um, but yes, thank you very much.